I, uh, knowing that we had some things going on today, I, I tried to not overly prepare, but I also had some uh, things going on this week that were in some ways, um, I don't want to say distracting, even though they were in a sense, but it was an eventful uh, few weeks for us. And so I, I uh, spent some time this morning and a little bit last night talking to my wife about what I could share and, and if she'd be okay with it. But I want you to, uh, well, I, I'll, I'll get to that. I want to also share this week during um, my Bible reading in the morning, came across Psalms 122, and it's, it's a song of ascent. It would be a song that they would sing while they were going to the house of the Lord, or otherwise known as Jerusalem. And um, I want us to stop and consider how they felt. They were going to Jerusalem. They were going to the house of the Lord. Of the Lord. It was going to be a celebration. It was going to be a great time. Do you feel the same way when you go to church on Sunday? Do you, hey, we're going to go to the house of the Lord? Because that's how they would feel in that day, and, and to the point where David wrote a song. And it's in Psalms 122, a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. It starts off, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Joy. I was glad when they said to me. It's in our house growing up, it was, uh, I don't know if I was always glad when they said it was time to go to church, but it started Saturday night because I got my weekly bath on Saturday night. And then you got up Sunday morning and it was a morning of preparation. <laughs> I think of Matthew as he was getting ready for church this morning. I imagine putting on his three-piece suit, there was some preparation get, to get ready for church. And there's some enthusiasm how do you feel on Sunday mornings when you're getting ready to go to church? Is it a joyful thing? Let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said that to me. And now here we are, standing in our, inside your gates, O Jerusalem. They walk in, and it's, wow, here we are. We're in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city, it says. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. And in that moment, as I read this in my devotions this week, I had to pause. Wow, imagine being in a place where the walls were so well built and there wasn't a gap in the wall. And then later on, it goes on and talks about peace. It says, all the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. All God's people were going to the house of the Lord. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The what? The name of the Lord. As the law requires of Israel. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given, the thrones of the dynasty of David. Verse 6. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. My title this morning is very short. It's not out of Acts, believe it or not. It's titled, Our Walls. And I'm not specifically talking about the church. 
I want us to consider our walls personally, ourself, our families, and our church. Now, I don't want you to get distracted and think that I'm talking about putting walls up between family members and friends. And No, I'm not talking about shutting yourself off. Actually, I'm talking about the opposite of that. And you'll see what I'm talking about later. Because when I start thinking about walls, I always think of the walls of Jerusalem. But then when I think of the walls of Jerusalem, there's a book in the Bible that I always consider. And it's the book of Nehemiah. Because it's in the book of Nehemiah where the walls of Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt. We, um, we've had events in our own personal life that made me start considering our own personal life. And then knowing that there's an enemy that will attack, it caught me considering how are the walls in my life? How are the walls in my family's life? How are the walls in the church? And not again walls of separation, but walls of protection, The enemy wants to seek, kill, and destroy, and he likes to attack where our walls are weakest. Now, what are some of the things in our personal lives that that would be sections of wall? I, I consider finances and relationships and our job and these different things that we have in our lives, and sometimes one of those sections is not good. And does the enemy attack the things that are solid in your life? Not necessarily. He generally goes after the areas, I believe, that are weakest. Maybe it's your health. I mentioned finances. I mentioned relationships. Emotional issues. What are some of the things in your life that you would consider weakest? Because those are the areas that need to be rebuilt and shored up and and reestablished, you might say. One area of our life that I don't know if, one area that we saw attack, so I would have to say it would be a weak area in our life. Recently, my wife, about a month ago, started on her regular exams, and they found a spot in one of the mammogram exams that wasn't good. So about Two weeks later, she went back for a follow-up, and they saw it was still there. So this last couple weeks has been tough because we've been a little nervous about what might be going on. And, yeah, it's scared. And so we had an opportunity this last week to go have a biopsy done, and they took 10 samples, which we thought was quite a bit. And then the waiting began. And it was hard because you don't know. You don't know if it's going to be cancer or if it's not going to be cancer. You just don't know, and it was a difficult time. And so we needed people that would be around us to help stand in the gap. And so there was a few in our lives that we'd reach out to, and we weren't sure what it was until it was something that was nothing. And so... So we kept saying, but really in our minds, it was a lot of things until it was nothing. And so then we obviously were praying during this time. It was a very difficult time. But Friday, we went to the doctor to get our results, and uh, it was one of those days we just wiped the calendar, and we didn't know what was going to happen. So we went to the doctor at 1220 on Friday this last week, and and, um, it was an emotional time, but the doctor said, that uh, there is no cancer. Yeah. 
And so it's been a, an emotional three or four weeks. It's something, but it's not major. And it's something that we'll be able to work through. But what I also begin to understand is that the enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. But I also know the enemy likes to distract. It, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that someone's welfare is not important. But there were some questions that we would ask ourselves during this process, and I didn't talk a lot about it because I didn't know what to say and was processing personally for myself. But one question I had is, does the Lord have a promise that he has shown you? And I'd ask you of that. Whatever you're going through right now, what has the Lord promised for you? Has called you out and said you will do and whatever that might be. What is the passion? What is the, that's in you? Because if that's the promise, then the promise must be fulfilled. And so that meant that we're, there was hope beyond whatever you might be going through. That there is a tomorrow, that there is a purpose to life. The last couple of weeks, most of the messages, I, most of the message over the last two weeks has really been drawn from personal angst and, and, and turmoil or trial. Not so much that we felt like we were being uh, uh, overcome or conquered by the, by the question, but it puts you in a place of considering God in all your circumstances, refocusing your thoughts upon him casting all your cares upon him. And then I came across this scripture that I read to you earlier. And it talks about the walls of Jerusalem. And and I started considering my own life personally. What are some areas of my life that I've allowed to become weak? That I, and and Holy Spirit revealed to me, what are those areas that I need to uh, shore up or see rebuilt in my own life? What are some of those areas in our family? And what are some of those areas in the church? And, and Lord, reveal to us what are the broken down walls? How, not necessarily how they got there, but how do we rebuild them? And so I couldn't help but to go to Nehemiah because in Nehemiah, it's all about the walls of Jerusalem and how they were devastated by fire and broken down. In some ways, they appeared to be Uh, torn down to a place of no repair. And I think what I want you to gain from this short message this morning is this. No matter how broken down or torn down you feel the walls of your life are, whether it be financial, financial, health, relationship, uh, emotional, whatever it might be, they can be rebuilt. There are some things we need to do to see the walls rebuilt. And you don't go it alone. And that's the message I want you to get out of Nehemiah, is that the rebuilding of the walls is not something that you do alone. Nehemiah 2.17 says, But now I said to them, You know very well what troubles we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then he says, Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And in this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God has been on me. And this is in verse 2018. It says, then I told them about how the gracious hand of God has been on me. And about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. 
Now, there wasn't just them rebuilding the wall. There was also an enemy. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard, about, heard of their plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? Those, the enemy, scoffed. How many times in your life had you seen a weakness in your life, and when you try to correct the weakness, you hear scoffing? What are you doing trying to, this is who you are. Don't try to strengthen yourself in this part of your life because, what are you trying to do, men? I'm going to pick on men for a minute. This is the men's week. I I, I look at it all the time when you watch uh, television, and and Pastor Scott's referred to this many times, and how the, the, the father of the household is also the butt of jokes. He's not the man of the household. He's the big joke in the household. And then, and then men, we're called to stand up and lead our homes, to priest our households. And, and, but we get to this place where we've been beat up enough that we're just rubble. We're a broken down wall. And when we finally get resolve and passion within us, it says, I'm going to rise up and be the man that God called me to be. The enemy comes in and scoffs. Says, no, you, 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 who, who do you think you are? You can't be that man that you think you ought to be. Who do you think you are? That's not truth. That's the scoffing enemy. Verse 20, Nehemiah replies, The God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you, you scoffers, this is what you proclaim. When you hear the scoffing or the negativity or the the time that you feel like you're going to rise up and step out and do what you believe the Lord wants you to do, and that voice in your head or the voice around you that comes up and says, no, what do you think you're doing? This is the response. But you have no share, enemy. You have no legal right or historic claim, and this says in Jerusalem, and I would say in your life, in your families, or in this church. Who do you think you are, enemy? Because you have no share. You have no legal right or historic claim to me, to my family, or to this church. Because this church, this family, and myself are set aside for the Lord. Nehemiah goes on and they're working on the wall. Different people had different sections of the wall that they were fixing because it wasn't uh, just one section that continuously went around. Our life's not just one facet of life. We have many facets of life. And every facet of this wall was being addressed by different individuals and by their families. And as they were building, the enemy was still coming at them. As you're trying to correct and fix things in your life, the enemy will still attack. I was sharing with Dina. I said, you know, there's certain areas of our life that I I think the enemy understands. He can't attack us there because we're resolved. Our faith, we know that we will die one day and we will spend eternity in heaven. And the enemy can't attack me there because he has no right there. That is claimed territory. But where there isn't so much strength and there's weakness in our life, the enemy tries to sneak in there. 
And when the enemy gets inside the walls or inside the gates, guess what he can start to do? Start to work against all the strong areas of life as well. Today is a day, yes, of remembrance with communion, but it's also a day of consideration. What are the areas of your life that you feel like are weak? The wall has come down and there's rubble. And I want you to consider it, not to consider it as a failure, but as an opportunity to rebuild. As they were building and the enemy was scoffing at them and they had made plans even to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. And in Nehemiah 4, verse 9, it says, But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. There was a time that they identified that they were still building the wall. They were still weak, but they could pray, and they could guard themselves in those areas. Is there emotional issues, relationship issues? Are there thing in your, things in your life that you need to stand guard over? And not just be aware of them, but have a plan that says, you know what, I am not going to be tempted in this area. Maybe it's sin. Sin is a weakness in our life. Sin is, is basically the opposite of worshiping God. Because sin is the thing that separates us from Him. Is that something in your life that you need to stand guard over? And I would say it is. Then the people of Judah began to complain. Have you ever been weak and you started complaining? I don't like a lot of negativity, but I'm sure I can complain. I don't like to hear it from others. I probably like to hear it from myself all the time, but I don't like to hear it from others. But they started to complain. What they were saying is the workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the walls by ourselves. They were discouraged. How do you know if you're discouraged? Listen to your language. If you say, well, I'm not discouraged and you're still complaining, I would say you're probably still discouraged. You probably have grown tired of trying to become more like Christ. They were struggling and rebuilding the walls, and they were discouraged and complaining. It goes on in verse 11. Meanwhile, our enemies are saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. What's interesting with that is it wasn't that all the walls were broken down. But when you have broken down walls, after a while, it appears that the enemy is going to attack on a scale that's greater than what your weakness is. See, what I'm getting at is that we tend to get in such a negative or discouraged place at times, and then the enemy has what he wants, and then he can make us believe that the enemy is going to attack us on all fronts. I want you to be calculated and strategic and know that my weakness is this and this and this is what I need to work on. And this is where the enemy will attack. He can't attack me here. I got this because of my heavenly father. Keep in perspective what it is that you need to do with your life. The Jews who lived near the enemy's camp had told them they were going to attack from all directions. 
In verse 13, it says, So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall and in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. This is the part, church, that I want you to understand why we as a church exist. Because when one person is struggling because they may have rubble or broken down walls, we as a church come together to support them. What happened was he, so he placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall and in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords and spears and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I think that's, I, I, I'm going to recap the last four weeks. We've talked about four weeks ago, there was a shift in the atmosphere. And we talked about joy and, and how it's our strength. And, and we should, with great gladness, celebrate the fact that we're going up to the house of the Lord. What does that represent for us? Even in trials, we can still be joyful. We still can be joyful in going up to the house of the Lord in our trials, in our struggles, in our weaknesses, in our broken down walls. And when we go to the house of the Lord, what is there is us. Standing guard, some with swords, some with bows, some praying, some interceding on your behalf. He would tell the people when the enemy would attack in a certain area, blow the trumpet, and we're all to drop what we're doing and to rush to that area and fight the enemy. What that requires, though, is everybody to obey the sound of the trumpet, but it also requires that when someone has need, to blow the trumpet. Because there has been a shift in the atmosphere. There is this great day of joy. And in the joy, there's a clarity that starts to show us that there's some opportunity in our lives still. I am joyful. We are moving forward. But now I'm seeing some weaknesses that are exposed. And I don't go that alone. I call out to my brothers and my sisters and I say, hey, I need help here. Can you intercede for me and help me? And yes, you might be called on to do the same for someone else. But this is what we're to do. We're to fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You're to fight for it. You're to fight for each other. Now, how do we fight? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and evil forces and high places, dark places, whatever that. I'm now misquoting it. I paraphrased it for myself. What is the fight? It's a spiritual battle. And we're to fight together for each other, to help one another. And what's awesome about the fight is at the end we win. There's victory. We fight for victory. We don't fight to see who, if there's a winner and a loser. 
We fight for victory because we win. But the fight of the church is to help for what? So we can get back to building. And not building alone because you have people standing in the gap. And I could preach on and on about Nehemiah, and I'm trying to rush this. But what I want to tell you is this, is that regardless of what you're going through, the place you need to go is to the house of the Lord. And when you get there, don't be afraid to sound the trumpet. Because there's going to be those that will come and stand in the gap and fight on your behalf. Remember, they were discouraged at one point. And that's when it was instructed to them. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Today, my wife and I are celebrating. First thing we said after uh, we left the doctor was, uh, let's go eat. Um, and uh, because that was a battle that came, was won, and now we can celebrate. You are probably in the midst of a battle. Blow the trumpet. Because I know that she, I don't know who all she was talking with, but I know she had those that she was talking to and they were praying for her. She did mention one lady that's down in the Bay Area somewhere was, had called and was talking with her because she sounded the trumpet. And what's awesome is when you find victory, they find victory with you. That's why we're entering into a season of joy because as the trumpet is sounded and victory comes, we will all enjoy and find joy in the midst of a victory. There has been a shift. We're going to see victory. We're going to have joy. Let's close. As we bow our heads, Lord, I just, we seek you, Lord, with all our heart. We know, God, that you consider each and every one of us. I am so amazed that with the Billions of people that live today, there's not one that you don't consider intimately. You know those that are here. You know that the, what struggle they're, they're, they're going through. Maybe it's their health is, is a crumbled wall. Maybe their finances are a crumbled wall. Maybe their emotional stability is a crumbled wall. Maybe they have cracks in the wall when it comes to relationships. Lord, you know specifically what it might be. But we can count it all joy because we're going to the house of the Lord. And it's here in this place, Lord. Give us the wisdom. Give us the fortitude to fight. Give us the passion to step in and stand in the gap for those that are struggling. Give voice to the hurting so that they can sound the trumpet. Lord, strengthen the church, strengthen the walls of the church, because inside those walls, just like in the city of Jerusalem, is peace. 
That's why, God, God, we want a place of peace in our own lives, in our families' lives, and in our church. Show us, Lord, where there's seams in the walls that are broken down. Show us, Lord, what are those areas that need to be rebuilt? Why, Lord? Because we want peace in the house. We want peace in our lives. We want peace in the church so that you can be glorified. A city set up on a hill. So we look to you, Lord. Work through us.